Welcome back to Devils in Detail. I'm Zach Pakale, and this week, joined alongside me is Cody Whitehouse and Koki Riley. How are we, how are we doing today, guys? Good, Zach. How are doing you? great. Doing great. All right, guys. Well, let's get right down to it. Arizona State did it again. They started 2-0, jumped into the rankings, only to lose back-to-back road games at San Diego State and Washington to fall back to reality. Now, is this something we expected? You know, I'm going to say no. I don't think the way this exp- this happened is what we expected. I expected 2-2, two and two, but not with the loss to San Diego State and a win over Michigan State, personally. Um, personally, I, I expected half of this. I expected them to, to fall to Washington. It's a really tough to place, place to play on the road. As for San Diego State, I thought they had a real chance to win this game, given the familiarity they have with that team. Now, you mean San Diego State, of course, giving some uh, with, a, with some proper Sun Devil luck last week. They barely escape Eastern Michigan. Jawan Washington breaks his collarbone, out for six weeks. And after he gutted the Sun Devils' rushing defense, with Chase Jasmine for, I believe, over 300 rushing yards, was it? Cody, you were there. You called that game. Yeah, that game was just Chase Jasmine and Juwan Washington, one after another. And me and Rob Warner on the call for Blaze Radio. And, of course, all we saw, we knew every single play they were lining up in the I formation, they were going to run the ball, and they did exactly that and gained five yards at a time. And after that game, of course, we talked. I talked to some of the coaching staff. They said that, that San Diego State ran 22 the entire way. Their goal line package, two running backs, two tight ends. Moving forward to another team that runs the ball, though, Last week, they went to Washington. They fought hard, lost by just a touchdown to a top 10 team in the Huskies, but thoroughly looked like they were not, they were never in command of that game. Yeah, they certainly didn't look like they were in total command of that game. It looked like Washington really knew what they wanted to do, and they were able to execute. They got a lot of 10-yard chunks, and they moved methodically down the field, but in the second half, ASU did a good job of adjusting and forcing those touchdowns and the field goals. You know, it really wasn't that close. I think the score indicated only a touchdown, a one-score game, but it really didn't feel that close watching the game. ASU really never felt like with they were within striking distance really throughout the game. So the score may have indicated it was a close game, but personally watching, I think it felt more like a two- to three-score game. You really, didn't, you really didn't think it was a close game? I really don't think so. Really, with the ASU offense, they weren't moving the ball really well, and Nikhil Harry didn't get involved. Manny Wilkins struggled. So I didn't really think ASU had that big-time impact on offense. You really keep that a close game. I understand what you're saying, but at the same time, I think they ran the ball really well this week. They had, I think, over 160 rushing yards this week, if, if I'm correct. And it was good to see not only just, you know, you know Benjamin produce, but also we got to see Traylon Smith a little bit this week as well. So I, I think the running game and, their, and the improved ability to hold on to the football was was a big reason as to why they... They look, they 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 hung in there with the eleventh best team in the country. Well, you know, I'm I'm glad you brought up Smith because Benjamin was really getting things going from the first drive. I mean, that first they score, they get the interception with Chase Lucas off that first play, the trick play. They give Benjamin the ball all six uh, plays that first drive. So, I mean, they clearly were going to establish the run. They get Ralston in there, use him as a fullback to kind of to get another blocker in there. He's been a running back. He knows what he's doing in there. But when the offense stalled the first half, you immediately saw Smith check in. Benjamin went to the locker room actually with an injury, which kind of got things rolling there. But Smith showed that he's really uh, effective as a ball carrier and as a receiver down, like when he comes out of the backfield. He was able to do both. Granted, he fumbled the ball on, that, on a reception which mm. uh, in the second half. But, Two fumbles really hurt. Yeah. But he, aside from, aside from the, the, the loss, the fumble there, he really looked comfortable running the ball. Which is good. Which is a great sign for the Sun Devils, given that he was not there for the first month of the season. 
And, you know, I really think all those around Tempe aren't that surprised. We've seen Traylon Smith before. We've seen him in spring games two years ago. And we really saw him excel in those games. So it's really not a surprise to a lot of people around the football team that cover the football team. So maybe the nation is surprised Traylon Smith is this, you know, elusive great back for the Sun Devils. But I think we really expect this coming in. And once he came off that injury he had the first month of the season, I really think, you know, this is what we expected from him. Definitely. And then you mentioned, so we mentioned Smith as someone that succeeded in this, in this game. But let's backtrack. Cody, you mentioned Nikhil Harry and Manny Wilkins struggling. We'll start with Wilkins, 104 yards, the fewest passing yards in any of his career starts. I mean, that's just when you're when this team relies around its relies so heavily on its starting quarterback, you can't be putting up 100, uh, um, just barely over 100 yards if you're Wilkins. You know, if you're Manny Wilkins, you can't be doing that. And if you're going to go into Washington and face you know a top 10 team in Washington, it's going to be tough to knock them off at their place with only 104. Passing yards, you know, you can have as many rushing yards as you want, but 168 is not going to cut it against, you know, one of the top teams in the nation. I understand, you know, that secondary was great, and that's why Nikhil struggled a lot, and that's why Manny struggled a lot, but you got to be willing to take those shots off play action if you're willing to establish the run like they did. I certainly think Nikhil had trouble getting open during this game, but with Wilkins, I think the 104 passing yards didn't quite represent how good or bad he was in that game. I thought he was okay. He made some of those easy checkdowns, but he just was not able to drive the ball down the field. That was a great defense he was going up up against on the road, and they still were able to run the ball pretty effectively, but at the same time, they need Manny Wilkins to drive the ball down the field in order for this Sun Devils team to win more games this season. I mean, I definitely think Wilkins is capable of recovering from the start. That's not, that's not, that's not a question, and I think just... Some of the the, the up the way that the game the pace of the game went starting so up tempo like a breakneck pace both teams really just putting on I think it was twenty four points in the first four possessions of the game um, to Browning and Husky slowing it down and making it so methodical it took Wilkins out of his rhythm you saw him missing a lot of throws that he normally would make and I'm not, I'm not talking about the deep the deep balls that he hits Darby with so accurately or the plays on the on the on the boundary with Harry it was. Just simple stuff over the middle where he was—he looked like he was second-guessing his decision-making, and it really showed. It, it looked like Washington's secondary was able to kind of take over and control where Wilkins could even throw the ball to. Yeah, really. Wilkins saw a lot of different looks from that secondary of the Huskies, and it was really just tough for the senior. You know, he's fifth-year senior, so you expect him. You've know, seen it all, but they really did a good job of switching that up and really made it hard for Manny Wilkins to even do anything with the ball and really forced, you know, ASU, if you're going to run the ball, they're going to let him do it. You know, we're going to defend the pass and against Nikhil Harry, Kyle Williams, and Frank Darby. Mm, I, I would certainly agree. I, I think I think that, you know, the Huskies are the 11th-ranked team in the, in the nation for a reason. This team was, to start the year, uh, one of the favorites to make the college football playoff. This is a very talented squad and with a lot of returners on the defensive side of the football. So, to me, I wasn't surprised that Chris Peterson was able to create a scheme that really um, through the fifth-year senior office game. So, I mean, moving on from Harry, though, I mean, excuse me, Wilkins, the bigger issue, I think, at hand is Harry. So, I mean, even if you're going to have an off night where you only get 100 yards on the, through the air, the run game's working, and you've got arguably a Bolitnikoff winner and likely a first-round pick in Nikhil Harry, five catches for 20 yards. If I'm Rob Likens, if I'm Herm Edwards, that is an unacceptable stat line. It really is. You know, when you have Nikhil Harry, you've got to be above at least 50 yards. 20 yards for five receptions 
is almost absurd. You know, everyone that's been around Nikhil Harry even knows who Nikhil Harry is and knows how dominant the 6'4 receiver can be. You really got to give him up to eight catches a game. They did it a lot on screen passes, just give him the ball and see what he could do. We also saw him on a punt return. He did a great job there. So we really just need to see Nikhil Harry more involved in any way we can. Punt return, kick return, any way Nikhil Harry can get his hands on the ball. That's the way the Sun Devils need to do it. I want to see some more deep shots down the field to Nikhil Harry. We haven't seen that a ton since the first week of the season. We've seen a lot of screens. We've seen a lot of slants through the middle of the field. They're trying to give him space, which I get, and I, and I think that makes a ton of sense given how good of an athlete he is. But maybe try to throw it up to him deeper down the field because he's bigger than almost any other corner he's going to be going up against the season. Well, I mean, it comes down to how talented he actually is. I mean, granted, UW has McIntosh. They've got Byron Murphy, guys that can really take a, a single receiver out of the game. And they did a good job of that with, with Harry. But we've seen it in other teams. SDSU in the second half against Nikhil, you saw the boundary corner. You saw a linebacker and a safety all shading towards him. It was just, which is a tremendous level of respect for the type of player Harry is. But if you're Wilkins, you need to, and, and Rob Likens more actually, you need to come up with ways to disguise plays for Nikhil, get him the ball. I mean, if I'm if I'm watching this team, I don't care if it's a run play, if, if it's something, if it's something, a trick play out of the backfield for Harry. He's a playmaker. You got to mm. get him touches. Or or use Williams as a piece that to create more space for Harry. You know, use your other receivers, use Darby, Williams, even Ayuk as as pieces to. To force the defense to cover the entire field and not just focus on to kill Harry. I'm going to go off what Kogi said there. It really falls back to those other receivers like Williams, Ayuk, and Darby really to open up the, the field for Harry because if there's only so many defenders on the field that can shade towards Harry, that's going to open up those other guys for one-on-one -on -one coverages. So they need to expose that. That way, Nikhil Harry can go back to his one-on-one -on -one coverage. Even a one-on-two, Harry's still going to most likely win that because of how talented he is. Now, go to you. you just gave me a bit of a transition. I'm going to take advantage of it. It's going to sound like an awful pun, but opening up the field, I'm going to move. I want to kind of move things over to the special teams for a second. First three games of the season, it was arguably the weakest position group on the Sun Devil team. No, mm -hmm. I, I would certainly agree in terms of like returners. Well. Yes. So I mean, we we saw it all. We saw Ryan Newsom come in, transfer from Texas, trying to come in and make a difference. We saw Brandon Ayuk, a JUCO transfer, come in and. Be, be regarded as some savior in special teams. He couldn't really get it done. He even muffed a few kicks. Mm. Now we move to option number three, Paul Lucas, a local product of Mountain Point High School in Phoenix. Comes in, he transfers from Oregon State to the Devils. And in his first real action, we see him return the ball four times, gets picks up 95 yards. I, I don't know about you, but that's, Washington is not an easy place to come in and, and have your first live action in terms of handling the football. It's one thing to be a gunner, but he came in and really impressed me in some of his decision-making, picking up blocks downfield, and just his open-field awareness as a returner. You know, heading into the season, if you told me, you know, what's your impact do you think Paul Lucas is going to have, I'd be like, do you mean Chase Lucas? Because I honestly have never heard of Paul Lucas before, you know, his action a kick returner. And Ryan Newsom made a couple plays. Like you said, I was in San Diego for that game. And he kind of hesitated in the end zone that took him out, only got him about to out to about the 15-yard line. So he made a lot of questionable decisions. I really think Paul Lucas is going to be big back there for him. And Brandon Ayuk really hasn't got it going, but don't give up on him just yet. Like you said, he's great at special teams and expect him, you know, really to make an impact later on in the season as well. It looks like ASU has their answer at the kick returner spot. I mean, if this is something that Hermedros has been harking on for a couple weeks now, their inability to return kicks and punts. And with 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 the effectiveness effectiveness of Lucas this week, 
I mean, it looks like they finally had their answer. Now they can actually start drives around the 30 to 35-yard line instead of the 20 or, or even the 15. So I, I, I think this is, this is a very encouraging sign for uh, ASU's special teams. Absolutely is an encouraging sign. But what's something that I think now we need to look at as a bit of a concern for the Sun Devil team, Manny Wilkins has been the starter here for three years, and his road record just is subpar, to say the least. He is 3-9 and nine on the road as the starting quarterback. He missed ASU 3-10 and 10 in that time. Dylan Sterling Cole, of course, getting a start two years ago at Oregon. Not really an easy place to come in, but going back, this is more focused on Wilkins. 3-9. and nine. Is this something that ASU fans should be worried about? Coming down, they still have to play four road games this season alone. And Wilkins is clearly, clearly a different quarterback when he's not in Sun Devil Stadium. You know, it's hard to play on the road in the Pac-12. I think it's simple as that. You know, we played a lot of good teams, and the Pac-12 is really good. So I wouldn't really say it's a Manny Wilkins problem as much as it is an Arizona State problem. It's not like Arizona State's been great in those years. Manny Wilkins has come in. We've had decent teams through the past. His first year we did pretty well. But still, it's going to be tough for this Arizona State team because we're really not there yet. So his record is not really indicative of how well Manny Wilkins plays. Yes, his record is only 3-9 on the road, but I don't think it's a concern this season. We've seen what Manny Wilkins can do against top-ranked teams like Michigan State throwing the ball 48 times, so I really wouldn't be worried about it. Personally, it seems like he is more comfortable at home and at a home setting, which makes sense. I I, I feel like if you're playing at home with the home crowd, with the home crowd with you, it, 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 it certainly affects your play. But if you remember two years ago, ASU did not win a not did not win a Pac-12 game on the road. So one, they did win one. They won they, one. They won one. But the, still, it 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 shows the point that. This team, this team in general, just has trouble playing on the uh, Pac-12. These Pac-12 games on the road, and it almost doesn't seem doesn't matter where it is specifically. I'm actually going to correct myself there, Koki. You were correct. They did not win a Pac-12 oh, game on the road. They beat okay. UTSA at the Alamo Dome, and that was still a, a tough battle. They they had to come back in the fourth quarter of that game. So I mean, just as easily could have been 0 and six on the road that year. That might this problem may have been more of a Todd Graham problem personally, but in but. It's tough to it's it's tough to really hark on this team um, um, and their ability to win or lose games on the road, given the fact that SDSU is a team that is is really built to beat a team like Arizona State. The way they can pound the ball on the ground, and then Washington's a great great team. So it'll be interesting to see how this develops throughout the year. Yes, the two road games we've seen in the Herm, Herm Edwards era it really isn't fair. Just like Koki said, it really isn't fair to judge based off those two games. So I really think we're going to see going forward. See how well we play, you know, in other road games coming up this season. Absolutely, and their next road game is at Colorado. That's two weeks away. But the next game that they will play is at home, of course, where the Sun Devils have looked pretty good over the past few years, winning. I think I believe it's been four games in each of the past three years at home. They have Oregon State. It's Beaver time in Tempe. One in three this year are the, is Oregon State, where they win over Southern Utah. In that game, they still allowed twenty five points. To the T-Birds, as you uh, so proudly t- called them earlier. What What's the deal with this Beaver team? I mean, they haven't won a game in four years on the road in the Pac-12. They, it's 2014, the last time they did that, a man named Jalen Strong had a Hail Mary <laughs> highlight. Uh, arguably one of the best plays in Arizona State football this decade. Yeah. So break it down for you guys. Come on, this is, this is, this is just... Possibly the easiest home game ASU will have this year. So 2014, ASU had Mark Berkovici at quarterback. So that was a long time ago. Berko, what a goat. So that is a great great guy there. So really this 
Oregon State team, I it's they've just been bad. Just plainly put it, two and fourteen since the start of the twenty seventeen season. The other win besides SUU, who's a Big Sky team, they're not even that good in the Big Sky to be quite honest. Was a thirty five thirty two win against Portland State. Uh, and the reason why they've been so poor is because defensively they're just a mess. I mean, two hundred this year they allowed two hundred eighty yards per rush this season. Their opponents are averaging six point six yards per rush, and it looks like. And if ASU really wants to nail nail down this victory, they're just going to hand the ball off to Eno Benjamin every single time. I could not agree more that Eno, you know, of course, getting over back over 100 yards, he rushed for like I think 60 total in the past two weeks prior against Michigan State and San Diego State. I think the Ralston move to fullback really is going to open up this offense, mm. and I definitely think that Zach Roberts is making the shift from the right side over to the left and playing left tackle, moving Tucker inside. Even though Tucker did not start at first team, Alex Osoya did this week. So we'll have to keep an eye on that. But going back to Ralston, I think Ralston moving with this with these as a halfback, trying to be more effective as a, as a blocker. Just He's a big body. I mean, mm-hmm. he, the man upped his, changed his whole physique to play linebacker this year as a senior. And now you've stuck a linebacker as, a, as, this, as this bulldozer for Eno Benjamin, who's another bulldozer. I mean, th- this... And you've taken this bulldozer. Now you now you got two bulldozers, and you put them in front of some bowling uh, in, in front of some bowling pins. Mm. You know, I really don't like the move to be quite honest. I don't think you learned the I formation. I don't think you learned the fullback position in you know a week. So I really think if maybe ASU had a bye week to learn this, you know, I like the move a little bit better. But you know, you just don't build a bulldozer that can know how to move and operate fully to its potential in one week. So Nick Ralston has some experience at the running back position, so I think he'll transition just fine. But I don't like this move this late in the season, you know, from the linebacker position to the fullback position almost halfway through the year. I, I, I like what I saw from Ralston. I think it was an interesting experiment. He knows the holes. He knows the offensive schemes, given his experience at running back. And it, 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 it worked last week. I mean, they were able to run the ball pretty effectively against a great Washington team on the road. So I want to see this continue this week against an inferior Oregon State opponent that gave up 77 points to Ohio State. I know it was on the road, and I know it's Ohio State, but 77 points? That's absurd. And and this year, they've given up 43.5 points per game overall, which is inc- which is insane. Insane. I mean, that that right there, that 43.5 points a game is 127 out of the 129 teams. Are you kidding me? <laughs> that, that 127 is also their ranking in rushing yards allowed. That, as you mentioned, 280 yards a game. Last week, J.J. Taylor, who, to be quite honest, is not that talented of a running back, basically said, you know what? I want to break a record today. <laughs> he comes out. He shatters the research stadium rushing record. That building is 65 years old, and he came out and ran for 284 yards against the Beavers. That is absurd. And let's mind you, Arizona has not played well at all this year. They have not played well at all in her first year coach. Uh, his name is slipping my mind at this moment. Kevin Sumlin. Kevin Sumlin, yes. I was watching a little too much Jimbo Fisher earlier, so that was on my mind. So Kevin Sumlin has not really coached that team up well so far, and they just dominated that game completely. Like you said, Zach, one player, J.J. Taylor, 284 yards, and that's just an absurd number, almost 300 by himself. So really, this is not a good rush defense, and if ASU wants... You know, just to walk away with this game beginning, just Manny Wilkins turn around and hand the ball off to Eno Benjamin, just like you said earlier. 35, 35 points allowed to an Arizona team that has really not been able to find its offensive identity this year. They're they're running 
they're really they're trying to they're containing Tate in the pocket. They're not really using his legs a ton. We're not even sure if Tate's healthy. It, it's been a wild year for Arizona, and for them to still give up 35 points to that team is kind of scary. And it's bad enough to lose by three scores, but I think honestly, I I, I genuinely believe that one of Oregon State's best defenders made excuses for a loss that they were thoroughly outplayed in. Jalen Moore, safety on the Beavers, came out and said, quote, we just have to be more physical. Football is physical, and that's one thing we were lacking last game. It starts in practice, and we have to build on that. I First of all, I don't know if it's something that, lack, that they lacked just last game. 43.5 points a game is like parting the Red Sea and letting opposing teams' <laughs> players just take off downfield. I think, I mean, I know, I know it's Jonathan Smith's first year. I know he's had good defensive success with Wisconsin, had some good success with Washington. But this is a learning process, and you can't realistically come out and say that you deserve to compete with an Arizona, compete with an Ohio State. Honestly, even in Nevada, they lost, they lost to the Wolfpack by a, few, by a couple points. They were down 30-7 to at one point in that game. I mean, give the guys credit for making a remarkable comeback in that game, but this is a team that, for, the, for a matter of fact, has a couple of running backs that can make some plays. they got Jamar Jefferson, six yards, six yards per carry. And then, uh, and then Artavis Pierce, 12, almost 12 yards to carry. I mean, he's a big, he's just a explosive play waiting to happen. But I mean, aside from those two guys, you've got a quarterback battle that's still going on midseason, and a defense that is that is so porous. It's reminiscent of how Arizona State's defense looked two years ago when they were giving up when they when they led the when they almost led the NCAA in big in chunk plays. Mm. You know, really, this is the Oregon State team that I really don't know what they're going to have to do to have a chance on Saturday. So, segueing into that, what do you guys think they're going to have to do to even have a chance in Sun Devil Stadium? They're going to have to stack the box. They need to, they're going to need to stop the run before anything else happens, and they're going to need to hope that Manny Wilkins misses his throws on these on one on ones. That's uh, and on the flip side, they're going to need to run the ball really well this week, and they have the ability to run the ball, and their offense is respectable. I, I will say that. You know, Koki, I'm really glad you said one one word in that sentence, and that word was hope. They're gonna have to do a lot of that <laughs> this this week. Hoping, praying, whatever they believe. Exactly. In. They're gonna have to do a lot of it. You know, Jamar Jefferson, the running back, 238 yards, 22 carries, and four touchdowns against Southern Utah University, the T-Birds. So he has he has shown potential, but as against a big sky team, and we hope this Danny Gonzalez 3-3-5 defense can do a little bit better than that. If this 3-3-5 defense gives up, get breaks a little, bends but doesn't break. Even I mean, I'd say that's fine from Gonzalez's unit this week. Three three. I mean, they're still learning a, a scheme that's been that's been called organized chaos by a number of people. It's not told. It's not a finished product. I mean, today Gonzalez said that his most that his most trustworthy the, the player he trusts most on his defense is a true freshman in Merlin Robertson. Mm. These guys are still learning a system. This is not an easy defense to learn. It's not. An e- it's it's even more difficult to execute. So, I can accept if I'm an ASU fan. I could accept a good uh, a good day on the ground for the Beavers, but if if you start seeing Corey Blunt or Jake Luton air it out, there's going to be some problems and some backlash for the Sun Devils. I think there is really really no scenario in which Arizona State should lose this game, but then again, we've seen crazier things happen. It's Pac-12 after dark. You never know. You know, crazy things do happen. And one more thing, I want your guys' opinion. The curl bar is no longer made a one-game debut. What do you guys think about that? And Herb Edwards saying no to the curl bar. Um, I, 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 interest, I, interesting. I, I feel like that he's a, 
Herm's a guy with a big personality, and that that was very. I guess that was a very. Uh, what do you say? It, uh, colorful, colorful interpretation of of executing a turnover. If there's one thing I'd noticed from Herm Edwards in his time here, and I mean as an analyst and as a coach in the past, it's that he's genuine. And Danny Gonzalez summed it up perfectly. The crowbar, or excuse me, the curl bar is a gimmick. It is. It, you shouldn't have any additional motivation to go jump a pass, to go hit a guy hard in hopes in the hope of forcing a fumble, so you can go lift a metal bar up a few times in front of the fans. It's. I mean, Herm Edwards is about as old school as they're gonna come. Danny Gonzalez, not that old. But also an old an old soul in terms of football. I mean, th- th- these are two guys that are very hard nosed football minds, and are more concerned with the winning. And as someone that's look on the outside looking in, I would say that's a good that's a good sign. Mm, I I certainly see where you're coming from on that one. I definitely agree. Two more old school coaches, you know, really not in the new gimmicks that a lot of college players are in nowadays. And from what we heard, Herm didn't know about it. You know, it was kind of snuck onto the plane. I think Chase Lucas and Nikhil Harry really kind of just were the ringleaders in that one. So I, I think it was good for one game. We had our fun, but it was a lot of fun. Do you guys have any predictions for the score of the game this week? Uh, this one's going to be, I'm going to say, 42-14 in favor of the Sun Devils. They run the ball for over 300 yards. Manny Wilkins gets back into it. Nikhil Harry has a few touchdown catch. I'm going to match you on the 42 by the Devils. I think the offense definitely comes to play. I think the Beavers maybe make it a little closer than we than, than we think it's going to be. I'm going to say 42-24. to 24. I'm going to say they definitely put up some points. But in the end, the, the ASU offense just rolls. I would. I think the ASU offense rolls, but I'm going to say 37-20. to 20, And the only reason why is because when you run the ball, the clock's going to be running quite a bit, and the ASU might not have enough possessions to get up to, into the 40s. So I'm going to go 37-20. Uh, okay, so all three of us have the Devils winning. A win would give them a, what, what would that be, 1-1 one one in the conference? So 1-1 one in one conference, still quite a bit of action to play, and I know it's incredibly early, so please do not jump down my throat on this one, but who do we have as our early season favorites to make it to, make it to Santa Clara for the Pac-12 title game? Yeah, you know, I think really in the North it's quite obvious. Stanford-Washington, it's going to be one of those two teams both those two teams are great. We saw Stanford just knock off Oregon. And, of course, Washington only lost against Auburn, which is another great team. In the South, it just it's a mess, to be quite honest. I could not pick a single team. No one's really looked that good. Arizona hasn't looked good at all. And they sit at the top of the conference right now, 1-0. Colorado off to a 3-0 start, looking pretty good. USC got uh, trounced really by Texas. UCLA has shown absolutely nothing under Chip Kelly. Utah doesn't have an offense per usual. And Arizona State is an unknown. I'm going to say Utah actually comes out of that one in the South, and it's going to be Utah and Stanford, the Pac-12 championship, and, of course, Stanford in that one. Um, personally, the North is a toss-up between two teams. I really think Oregon had a chance if they if they came away with that win last week. They were they should have won that game, guys. Wow, that, that was a missed opportunity at home. But I, I think Stanford pulls it away, especially if they beat Notre Dame this weekend. It'll really show that this team is for real and could make – the playoff if they go undefeated if you think about it but on the flip side for the south it's a mess i think asu has a chance but i am I'm, I'm going with utah i think that's a really solid team well coached good at defense you know um offensively they're not great but i think they're they have enough there to pull through and win the south so i definitely agree i mean i i think oregon and both of you have mentioned oregon played fantastic justin herbert had 
about as perfect of a game as you could have without coming away with a win. I mean, that's just a tough break for a kid that's really worked on his game, honed his craft, and likely will be a first-round pick, maybe a second come April. So, I mean, I'm going to give it to Stanford. I think I think the Huskies' purple reign comes to an end, if you will, <laughs> this year. Uh, Cardinal look really good. It's beyond Bryce Love. The defense continues to come up with stops when they need them. And then KJ Costello has taken an impeccable jump from someone that was just coming in as a spot start. His first start last year came against ASU in uh, up up in NorCal, mm-hmm. and now I mean in that in that time it's been it's been about a year in the, in the time since next week will mark a year. He has just taken incre- an incredible path to developing his game. JJ Arcega Whiteside looks like he is becoming one of the best deep threats in the country and. Generally, as a receiver overall, looks like he should be a first-team All-Pac-12 come December. So I'm, I'm I'm taking the Cardinal in the South, or excuse me, in the North, and then in the South. Don't call it bias, but I think the Sun Devils get in. Not saying this is exciting. I'm I'm going to say that a that that a ten-win Stanford team or eleven-win Stanford team comes in against a nine-win Arizona State team. Nine wins. I'm, that's And I think, and the thing is, I think it's only going to take about five or six wins in the Pac-12 to, in, excuse me, from the South winner to get to Santa Clara. All, all the teams, as you guys both time and time again mentioned, just look like messes. Either it's the offense or the defense or UCLA not having a quarterback. I mean, there's so many. There's so much parity, mm. not in a good way, really. It's, this is this is probably mm. the weakest the South has looked in years. Personally, I would say at the moment it would be Utah and ASU are the probably the favor are the slight favorites. I think Arizona still has time to turn it around. Um, USC with a freshman quarterback and and a freshman, to- and and with his top target being a freshman as well, a lot of inexperience there on that side of the ball. It's gonna be tough to really see USC pull it out this season next year is probably their year so yeah i I can i see where your arizona state prediction is coming from absolutely i mean and like i said there's still seven weeks of football after this after this to finish up the pac-12 season but for episode five of the devils of detail podcast that's all we have for today again i'm zach pakale joined alongside by koki riley and cody whitehouse saying thanks for tuning in and we hope to hear you from you next time